Look five years down the road. As you look in the year 2009, where would you like to see this congregation? Would you like to see unity? Would you like to see workers? Would you like to see more mature Christians? Would you like to see all these pews filled up with people who are serving the Lord faithfully? I know that's exactly what you want to see. That's one of the reasons we're here, to work and accomplish these goals. Are you aware that God has the very same goals for us? God, as He looks down on His church, has plans for us. He's not just up in heaven just wondering what on earth we're going to do. He's given us His Word to demonstrate what He wants from us and the goals that He has for His church and, by extension, for this church, this congregation. Look in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, and we're going to read down through verse 16, and we're going to learn God's goals for us. Tonight we're going to notice three things. Number one, what God wants for us what God has done for us, and then what God expects from us. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, the Scripture reads, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. We'll skip the parentheses and go down to verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceit. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is God's goal for us. This is his goal for his church, and by extension, his goals for this church congregation, and we need to live up to them. I want us to begin by noticing what God wants for His church. We're going to notice three things. The very first thing we'll notice in verse 13 is that God wants us to come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He wants unity, just like we discussed a few weeks ago. He wants us to be one. He wants us to be working together, to be pulling together, to be striving after the same goals, not working at odds with one another. Of course, a few weeks ago, we read the standards of unity there in verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. He wants us to be that one body who is listening to the revelation of the one spirit, who has the one hope of our calling, who is submitting to the one Lord, obeying and having the one faith, entering through the one baptism and following after the one God. That's what He wants for us. Unity. Jesus Himself prayed for this unity in John chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. In John chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. As Jesus prayed, and He says, I'm not just praying for these alone. He's saying, I'm not just praying for the apostles. I'm praying for everyone who's going to believe on Me. That comes down to us. 
In John chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He wants us to be united, just as the Father and the Son are united. United in work, united in teaching, united in goal and in effort. What does God want for us? His goal is that we'll have unity. Not strife and division, but harmony and peace. But as we turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, we find that God wants a second thing for us. There in verse 13, He continued on to point out that He wanted us to come to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is Paul indicating here? He's indicating maturity. I think about Paul's illustration that he gave in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. And I realize that that illustration is dealing with the, the miraculous gifts, but I think the illustration still fits in our situation too as we're talking about. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What does he want for his church and for this church? He wants us to grow up. He wants us to be mature. He wants the congregation to grow and mature. What this means is we can't just stay where we are. We're not just going to continue on in the way we've been. We're going to constantly get better and stronger and greater serving God and becoming more mature. How's that going to happen? What's going to happen is we individuals in the church become more mature. As he talked about maturity in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. There's our maturity. Walking worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Growing in that. Becoming stronger and better. In fact, he described it on the congregational level in verse 15 of Ephesians 4. It said that we're speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. We need to realize that we're growing. And we're supposed to become more and more like Christ. And this church is the body of Christ. And the church ought to epitomize Christ and His life before the world. I think also of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20, Paul said, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. We're not allowed to be children in our understanding. We're not even allowed to stop at adolescence. You know what adolescence is, don't you? That's that time when you think you know everything, but in fact we know very little. It's amazing how many folks begin to learn some and they think they're getting it all under control and now I'm a mature Christian, when really they're still just in Christianity's adolescence. We can't stop there. We've got to keep growing on, becoming mature, more like Christ, humbling ourselves before Him. That's what God wants for us. He wants unity and He wants maturity. And then the third thing, if we look back in Ephesians chapter 4 and we look into verse 14, Paul wrote there that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried by the trickery of, excuse me, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful 
plotting. This is an extension of the issue of maturity. He says that he wants us to get to a point that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We're not enamored by every newfangled idea that comes along. We're not drawn away by everything that somebody says. He wants us to be able to tell the difference between right and wrong. You see, those who are young are very easily swayed by folks who just look good. Those who are immature are very easily swayed by those who can just say something well. But we're no longer to be children. We're supposed to be able to look past the appearances. We're supposed to be able to look past just what is said and look and see if it goes along with God's Word. And not tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We need to realize that we should not be fooled by error just because there's somebody who's able to preach the error well. We've got to go to the Word of God and trust what He says and do what He says, no matter what anyone else says. He wants us to mature, be united, and not be tossed to and fro. He wants us not to be influenced by all those that are around us, but rather He wants us to be the influencers. We should be the ones that stand out as a light on a hill that draws people to Christ and to Christ's path. That's what He wants from us. That's what God wants for us. That's God's goals for us. And we need to be working toward that, growing in that. But the great thing about this is we need to recognize that while God wants these things, and we may be sometimes overwhelmed as we consider these goals for us, we recognize that God has not just abandoned us to do things all on our own. God has actually done things for His church to help us accomplish these goals. And I want you to notice three of these things that Paul delineates here in Ephesians chapter 4. The very first thing that we learn is that God has given gifts to us. In Ephesians 4 verse 7, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Paul explained this more in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 3, Paul said, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Verse 4. For as we had many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is what God has done for us. Every single one of us have gifts and abilities. We have opportunities and resources that God has given specifically to us. We don't all have the same abilities. We don't all have the same gifts. Rather, He's put us together in this body so that what one lacks, the other can complement and complete. But He's given us all gifts. And those gifts are to be used to serve God. What abilities do you have? Do you have the ability to lead? Then do so with diligence. 
Has God given you more ability to give? Then do so with liberality. Do you have the ability to teach? Then teach. Do you have the ability to serve and minister to others? Then do it. Do not view this list as exhaustive. These are not all the gifts. These are not all the abilities that God has given us. What abilities do you have? He's given them to you so that you can use them to help this congregation reach its goals. The second thing that Paul demonstrates God has done for his church. The second thing that Paul has demonstrated that God has done for his church so that we can accomplish the goals that he has for us. Verse 11, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He provided roles, offices within the church, official positions that people might hold to help the congregation press on towards its goals. He gave some to be apostles and prophets. Through them we find in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4 and 5 that he revealed the truth. It says there, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Because of their work, we now know what God wants us to do. But he also gave some to be evangelists. Those who would devote their lives to the proclamation of the Word, to train us and teach us in what God's Word says. And He gave some to be pastors and teachers. He gave some to be shepherds, it says, to feed the flock, to guide us and to lead us as we're working on toward those goals. God has not left us here as sheep just wandering on the mountainside, wondering which way to go. He's established an order within the congregations so that we can have leadership and guidance as we strive to accomplish God's goals for us. The third thing that God has done for us, God has given us the truth. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, He tells us that speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love. He wants us to speak the truth. But where did the truth come from? We don't make it up. We don't come up with it on our own. Instead, He's given it to us. What did we read just moments ago in Ephesians chapter 3? Back up to verse 3. Paul says in Ephesians 3 and verse 3, how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my insight, my knowledge into the mystery of Christ. We can know the truth, which will set us free. He's given it to us. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to go by trial and error to try to figure out what God wants from us and go to heaven. It's right here. We can learn it. God has done this for us. He hasn't left us on our own. As we strive to accomplish the goals, to be united, to mature, and to be able to tell the difference between right and wrong, He's given us His truth. He's provided us with leadership and roles within His church. And He's given each of us gifts and abilities that help us accomplish these goals. Considering all of this, what He wants from the church and what He's done for us, we ask one final question. What does God expect from us? What does God expect 
from you as an individual Christian. The very first thing that we recognize is that he wants us to be joined and knit together. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. He wants us to be joined together, to be knit together. Committed to this work. Committed to one another. Connected with one another. As though we are knit together. I've heard people pray, may we stand so close together that nobody can fall down. That's what Paul's talking about here. That kind of commitment. Being committed to the work, being committed to the brethren within the church is far more than saying, that's the church of which I'm a member. It's far more than saying, that's where I go to church. Being committed to the church and its work and its members means I am a working part of that congregation. I am committed to it. How committed are you? How committed are you to the work that we're doing here? How committed are you to the brethren that are around you? To helping them go to heaven? To helping them grow and become stronger and mature? Let me ask you this. Would you hire somebody to be a preacher who was only as committed as you are? How committed are you? He expects us to be joined and knit together. Bonded with one another. Cleaving to one another. And committed to the work of this church. The second thing that he expects from us. As we continue reading there in Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 16. He says, knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. You have a share here. The share in the work is not just among the deacons and the Bible class teachers and the elders and the evangelists. The share in work is shared by all of us. He's given us gifts and abilities, we learned. And He expects us to use them and to work with them. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18, Paul said this, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. He was using the illustration of our physical bodies. He put eyes and ears and noses and fingers and toes exactly where He wanted them to be so our bodies could work properly. And he says, that's just like the church. He has placed the members here, just as he wanted them to be. Why are you here? Well, we can look at all kinds of complex issues and what caused you to make the decision to be here. But if you're here, let me guarantee you this, God wants you here. And he has a work here for you to accomplish. There is a share of this work that you're supposed to take part in. And he expects you to do your share. And let me guarantee you that your share is far more than just attending the services. What gifts has He given you? What abilities do you have? You may not think they're much. But God hasn't asked you to sit back and wonder how much they are. He's just asked you to use them in His service. We look again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, I understand that there he's specifically talking about miraculous gifts. 
But the principle applies to all of God's gifts. Whatever gifts He has given to us, what does He expect us to use them for? It says, for the profit of all. We're a team. We're a unit. We're to be bonded together. And the abilities and the gifts that we have, we are to use to serve one another, to profit one another. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the reason we have abilities is to serve God and to serve His children. He has not given us our ability so we can make it in the financial world. He's not given us our ability so that we can be successful in the secular world. No doubt if that also happens, that's fine so long as you're keeping your priorities straight and understanding that every ability you have, God has given you so you can use it to profit the congregation here. And for the profit of your brethren. What abilities do you have? Use them to glorify God and serve others. And finally, he expects us to do the work of ministry. He expects us, as it says, beginning in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Far too often we believe that the work of ministry belongs to one that we call the minister. And that's just not the case. As you examine this passage, notice what it says. It says that he's given certain roles and offices. Why? To equip us. To equip the saints. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the saints. What are they equipping the saints to do? The work of ministry to edify one another. Those roles, those offices are given to teach us and equip us and to train us to accomplish God's will, to edify one another. And then who are the workers? All of us. Ministering to one another. Serving one another. You are a minister. The word that's translated here, ministry, diaconia, is used in various ways as it talks about how we can serve others. If we look in Acts chapter 6, in Acts chapter 6 and verse 2, the scripture there uses that same word, and it says that then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. There's that word, diaconia, serve, serving tables. But it's also used in verse 4. We'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There's that word again, diaconia, ministering of the word. We can look in Acts chapter 11 and verse 29. And we find that the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. We find here the term used as it's talking about sending according to his ability, sending relief, sending service, ministering to those who are in need. This is talking about us giving financially to help others. In Acts 12 and 25, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Here's the idea of the church had given a specific task to these men, and they were ministering, they were accomplishing the task. Each one of these uses is ascribed to us when it says we're to do the work of ministry. We're supposed to do all of this. Serving one another. Ministering. Do you see a need? Don't wait on the elders to accomplish it. Do you see somebody who needs to be taught? Don't wait on the evangelists to do it. Do you see something, some work that needs to be done? Don't wait on the deacons to assign somebody. You do it. 
When a guest comes into our assembly, don't wait for church-assigned greeters to go and give them a card or to make sure that they're welcome. You go welcome them. When you see somebody that needs an encouraging word, you go encourage them. When you see somebody who's falling short, don't sound around and ask one of the elders going to do something about that. You go do something about it. You and I are all the ministers. One of the great problems that we have today is that we have, and I say we, not talking about this congregation, but brethren in general, have typically decided to answer every problem with a church program. And certainly programs, some of them are authorized. But far too often when the church establishes a program, we individual Christians believe that our job is fulfilled just because we're members of the church that's doing it. That's not the way it works. We as individuals are supposed to be ministering and serving and doing God's will. This is what God expects from us. This is what God expects from you. How are you doing? God has amazing goals for us, brethren. All we have to do is do our share. Ministering to one another. Using the gifts that God has given us. We're not asking anything amazing from you. We're just asking you to use the abilities that God gave you to serve this congregation and to serve God. That's it. You do that and God will give you more. And we'll grow. And yet that may still seem a little overwhelming, but I want you to remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This verse is a powerful verse. We can accomplish this because God is working through us. We simply need to do the work He's given us. Are you willing to work with us? Are you committed to this congregation? I pray and hope that you are. That we can draw close and be knitted with one another. Unified. Working together. Serving one another. Can we all do that? Brethren, that's one of those times when you're supposed to say, Amen. Can we all do that? Thank you.